Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. I want to talk to you about this day, what we're going to call the day the revolution began. And this is a title borrowed from a scholar named N.T. Wright. Uh, the day that the revolution began. It, in this, this day, the day where the tomb was empty, where we don't quite know how to deal with this story. Some of us believe in it. Some of us don't. Some of us think that it's folklore. Some of us think it's fairy tale. Some of us have experienced it. But, but we all come together to talk about it. The day the revolution began. What kind of revolution? Well, it's a revolution against death. It's a revolution against the power of death. And, and I, I think that when we see what that means, everything changes. Everything changes. And, and who doesn't? By the way, we live in Denver. Who doesn't want to join a revolution in Denver? Okay, so we all like this idea of a revolution beginning. And it did. And it happened kind of like that with a woman or a few women peeking in an empty tomb. So praise God for women. I'm very thankful for women, and I'm very thankful, yeah, I'm very thankful that, uh, that they actually had more boldness than men in this story, and we'll jump into that in a little bit. I want to tell you about the day that some, like, I, I failed as a father. You ready? Here's, here's, well, there's many days. Here's one of the days that I failed as a father was uh, our oldest daughter, Piper, She's five years old. She goes to school at Edison Elementary. It's a local elementary school around here. And what, what I wanted to do was I wanted to surprise Piper. I was out of town that week. And so it was a Thursday. I was back in town. I said, I want to surprise her and have lunch with her. Okay. So you can do that, by the way, with your kids. I would encourage you to do that. If you have kids, it's really fun. So on the drive to school, this is what I said. I said to Piper, what's your, what's your favorite um, fast food restaurant? And she said, Taco Bell. I said, okay, talk about what do you like? She goes, I want, I want the cheese quesadilla, but I don't want that hot sauce on it. She's talking about the jalapeno sauce. I don't want meat in it. She's talking like no meat. And she said, that, that's my favorite thing to do. But I want the nachos, but I want the cheese. Dish. She's like, going, I know. I know how to interpret five-year-old talk real fast, right? So this is what I did. What I did when I packed her lunch that morning was I didn't pack her lunch at all. I put in her lunchbox an empty, she has this container that holds the, the like sandwiches, it compartmentalizes everything, sandwiches, um, fruit, all this stuff. And so I put nothing in there. I just put that thing in this cloth lunchbox. So I thought I was so clever. And my wonderful wise wife said, don't do that because she's going to be really sad if she looks in there. And I go, no, she's not going to look in her lunchbox before lunchtime. So Piper's off to school. Drop her off. I have this great plan in, in my head. And I think that I tricked my daughter. And I sure did trick her. And we get there to school. Lisa ends up co- coming with me. We sit down and we got there early. I'm there with the Taco Bell bag. And I'm waiting to intercept my daughter as she's walking with her class to the cafeteria before she can unzip her her lunchbox, right? And I'm sitting there and here comes the parade of children and there's Piper crying. Tears are streaming down her face and her sister goes, what's wrong, Pipes? You know, this is her three-year-old sister and Piper just like runs to us and she runs and she holds on to us and the teacher goes, did she know that uh, you were going to be here with lunch? I said, no, I was trying to surprise her. She said, yeah, she got hungry and opened the lunchbox and there's nothing there. And she thought you forgot to pack her lunch. 
And I'm like holding back tears in this elementary school where this little family with a Taco Bell bag looks so pathetic just crying together because here we are. Dad of the Year Award goes to me. I tried to trick my daughter and she's crying. This is what I told her. I said, Piper, I said, when you look in your lunchbox, anytime it's empty, dad's on his way. That's what you need to know. Anytime it's empty, dad's on his way. And she goes, okay. So now whenever she goes there to school, she'll even repeat that. Hey, my lunch is empty. Dad's on his way. And I said, yes, yes. Dad's on his way. Dad's on his way. Dad's on his way. Anytime it's empty. This is the story of the resurrection. The story of the resurrection is anytime the tomb's empty, whenever you see that God, it looks like God's been defeated. Anytime the tomb's empty, dad's on his way. And in fact, when she saw the empty lunchbox, I was at Taco Bell making the order. Like something more glorious was coming her way than what would have been typical, what would have been daily. And that, that's what we celebrate today is not that it's just normal, everyday. Yeah, maybe God is there. No, no, we celebrate the fact that we know, we know we experience emptiness. The lunchbox is empty. We look in there every day, the lunchbox feels empty. Or some days it doesn't, but it just feels mundane. And what I want to encourage you with is dad's on his way. The heavenly father is on his way. And when you peek in the tomb and it looks empty and you're not quite sure what's happening, dad's on his way. Dad's on his way. Dad's on his way. Well, well here, here's what's interesting about that. We don't, we don't actually know how to keep reminding ourselves of this truth. We drift. We kind of fall back from this idea that, hey, God is not a God who leaves me alone. When things are falling apart, God is on his way. Like to believe that and to, and to know that, and we, we drift. We fall away from that. And, and what I want to do is I, I want to jump into a story, the resurrection story. And what, what happens is the characters are drifting. You know, G- Jesus died. And, um, and they're just prepared for the death. In fact, they're preparing even more for the dead body is what you're going to find. And, and in Jesus' death, they forget that the Father is on his way by resurrecting the Son and that Jesus in his new resurrected body is going to meet with them, is going to testify to them, and then is going to set this thing in motion called the kingdom of God through the resurrected Christ. They, they don't remember any of this. They don't know any of this stuff, even though for three years, Jesus is telling them, hey, when they tear the temple down, I will raise it up in three days. And they interpret that differently. But then like specifically, he starts prophesying about his resurrection. And not not just that, but hundreds of years before, there are prophets that are prophesying about the resurrection of the Messiah. And so they look in and it's like the lunchbox is empty. This, This is what happened. And they forget that God's on his way with something greater than you could ever imagine. And this is the story of Easter. This is the day the revolution began, the revolution against hell, the revolution against death and its power. And so as we drift, as we feel ourselves drifting, I want you to be encouraged because we're going to read a story of the people who you think would be the bold people who started the church. It's funny how the whole thing got started. So let's jump right into this. This is in Luke 24, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices. By the way, that's just natural. I think women get up earlier than men. They're just better at these things. The women took spices. They had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, why are they doing this? The reason they're doing this is they're getting spices to prepare 
to, to put on the body, put around the body of Jesus Christ because they actually know that three days in a tomb, you start, things start to rot away, okay? If you're a nurse in the room, we have a few nurses that go to church here, uh, you'll know when a body's dead, a, a, like the body starts to decompose. It doesn't smell very good, so you get these spices. So they're fully anticipating the tomb being there, and they're fully anticipating the body being there. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find it. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I, I mean, you guys all look great. Maybe you're wearing your Sunday best. You are gleaming, not quite like lightning, but you look great. But these are like angelic beings in their fright. The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Can you just pause and like take in for a second that phrase? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look? We always want things that give us life. We always do. But we always look in the wrong places. I mean, when we, if you've ever said the words, I regret, and then, and then something comes out of your mouth, or I wish I didn't, and then something comes out of your mouth, it means you looked for life among the dead. And, and here they're going, why, why do you do this? Which, which tells me there's another option. You don't have to keep doing this. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. So that here they are drifting, wondering, why is it empty? Remember how they told you, how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. This had to happen. Then, he remem- then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Now, these are the faithful eleven. These are the eleven that got the whole thing started. Well, there's like twelve that got the whole thing started, and then one of them really drifted away, and so he's gone. But these are like the eleven, okay? The eleven faithful. You're going to find out how faithful later on in, in tonight's message. And to all the others who are present, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, now I want you to understand what the apostles' response was. It was not, he is risen indeed. This is what their response was. But they did not believe, I'm sorry, they did not believe the women. They didn't believe it because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like nonsense. One of the translations of Luke 24, this is verses 1 through 12, says, seemed like a fairy tale. Seemed like nonsense. This is literally, these are the people who started the church, okay? So let me just pause. The mere fact that you're here this morning, you're not hiding away, you're not saying the whole thing's nonsense, you just gave, gave it a shot on Easter morning or Easter evening. The mere fact that you're here, I think you're doing better than the original 11, okay? You're definitely doing better than the other one, but there, you're, I think you're doing better. Then the original 11, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. Peter did this. Peter's interesting. Peter's the guy that, he's just that guy. Peter's like, Peter doesn't think, he just does. And, and in this instance, it served him. But he's like the guy, he's going to ask, are you pregnant without actually knowing if you're pregnant? This is Peter, okay? Peter's the guy that Jesus literally is like, hey, I need you to stay awake and pray. I pray, pray, and something goes wrong, and he just goes to cut off an ear. He misses, by the way, the whole body. I don't know. 
He just got the ear of someone. This is Peter, okay? He's that guy. But it served him here. Served him here. He's literally the only character that just by the word of what happened, he went to investigate and he started to wonder about it. The story unravels in the way that our lives kind of unravel. And it's like this. We start to wonder, we start to wonder why we forget. Then, then we start to remember, and then we realize the resurrection's not, not actually the ending at all. It's the beginning of the whole thing. The resurrection started the whole thing. So let's, let's just talk about this. Let's talk about why, uh, let's talk about we, how we forget the most powerful story ever told. So if you are here and you go, I've heard the resurrection story before, you might have heard it before. And if you have, I just want you to think about, have you remembered it every day when the tomb looks empty? Have you remembered it every day when disappointment and distress? Have you remembered it every day whenever the relationship's falling apart? Have you remembered the resurrection every day when the lunchbox seems empty? Have you remembered the resurrection every day whenever you're actually anticipating something great going on at work? You're excited. Something good's going to happen to you at work, and then like it falls through. Have you remembered it whenever you're saying, our ki- we're going like, to be able to see our kids do these great things, and then some sickness comes upon the child? Have you been able to remember? And we drift too. And I just want to talk about for a second, we forget the most powerful story ever told. We do. And it's not to be condemning. It's just to say this is actually what's normal, is that the disciples lived in a day called Saturday. They lived in a day called Saturday, forgetting all the prophecies, forgetting what was going to take place. They lived in a day called Saturday where they felt destroyed. You imagine giving your life to someone for three years, abandoning your um, livelihood, and then they die on a cross. How hard it would be to remember. How hard it would be. And you and I live in a Saturday, Monday through Saturday, usually Sunday through Sunday. It feels like that day where everything around us, the world around us, doesn't seem right. Things don't go well. And we just forget. We just forget. I want to talk about that first. We, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland before. If you haven't, I would advise it. Just depends on your stage of life. There are different stages of life where Disneyland's better than others. When, when I was a kid, listen, when I was a kid, I went to Disneyland, and I remember, I remember in Disneyland, like, when I saw the castle, Cinderella's castle. Now, don't judge me, men, if you're like, you like Cinderella's castle. You would, too. If you saw this thing live, it's amazing. And I remember looking up and going, the castle is massive, right? The thing is great. And I remember as a kid thinking this, the lines are long, but this is great family time. This is what I thought as a kid. It's like, I get to hang out with my parents for some reason. My parents are irritated. I don't know why they're mad, but like, could be that it's a three-hour line. But as we're going through the line, you know, Disney does this great thing where they have robots and they, you have things you can watch. And, and I just remember loving the lines. I'm not kidding. And, and I remember thinking all the food in Disneyland tasted amazing. The chicken fingers at Disneyland are somehow better than the chicken fingers anywhere else in the world. As a kid, I just thought this. Mickey Mouse, I, re- I remember, listen, I remember sitting there 
late at night watching the Fantasia play. And it, it, that's a play that takes place on the water, by the way. And so I'm watching this and I'm watching the real Mickey, right? Not the fake Mickey. The fake Mickey's walking around the park everywhere. There's like 20 of them. This is the real Mickey. This is the magic Mickey, okay? And I got to shake Mickey's hand. I got to get him to sign something, M-I-C-K-E-Y. That's how Mickey signs his name. And I got this, seven years old. And, uh, and I loved it. I love Disneyland. But then we took our kids to Disneyland as an adult, obviously, because I have kids. And, and everything's a little different in Disneyland. In fact, I'm looking around and I see like the, the Mickey Mouse suit and the people and I go, how hot is it in there? <laughs> like, how, how much do you get paid? Do you have a fan? And you know, if you ask them, by the way, they're not allowed to break character. And they're like, ah, this is real. No, it's not real. You're going to die. You know, you need something to drink. <laughs> I remember thinking that. I remember, I remember sitting there going, this food, chicken fingers are like 10 bucks for two. Chicken fingers. These are the worst chicken fingers in the world because they're the old, you just throw them in and they're like, and my kids are loving it. And, and now like, like we have to like take our anxiety and try not to throw it on the kids because we're like, do we have money? Well, we got to eat. Well, do we have to eat? Like, do we have to eat at Disneyland? And the lines, good grief, four and a half like four and a half hours into it and you've ridden two rides. There's nothing wonderful or magical about that. Fantasia's way too late at night. It's like 8.30. I'm exhausted. I just want, I just want the kids to go to bed. I want to go to bed. And so, like, hey, can I get on your shoulders, Dad? No, no, Daddy's laying down. Just tell me when Mickey's done. And he's not the real Mickey, by the way. So if we watch this on TV, it's the same thing. And this is a whole different experience. Whole different experience. It took me years, I don't know, 20-something years, to have a shift in my perspective from something being amazing and wonderful and so intriguing and real to going, this is frustrating. I don't know how long this is going to last. It's, it's kind of magical every now and then. But here in this story, it took them three days. Three days they drift fast, fast. They forget they forget. It doesn't, it doesn't take us years and years and years to forget the resurrection story. It happens fast. We drift. And what I want to tell you is with no condemnation, this is boast of our stories. This is what happens. But then notice what happens um, in the scripture. Not only do they forget the most powerful story ever told, but, but we are now reminded of this story. Okay? We're reminded of the most powerful story ever told. Here's where I get a little frustrated with the story. I think to myself, if I had angelic beings to remind me that Jesus rose from the grave, every time I was in despair and thinking that his power is not at work, well, yeah, like it's a game changer. So, so if you can do that, do that, okay? And in fact, you can just like, you, you don't need to listen to the rest of the message. You can just go out the door. But for the rest of us, meanwhile, for the rest of us, we, we find it really difficult to remind ourselves, but what the angels do actually isn't that bizarre. It's not that hard, and it's not too spectacular for our everyday life at all. What the angels do is they remind them by saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? So they're asking this question, why do you think death is still here? Why do you think he's dead? They're questioning their whole entire preconceived idea. 
that death has the final word and that death has the final authority. They're questioning the whole thing. So to them, they're going, why, why are you doing this? Which means it should be pretty apparent uh, that he's not here. He's conquered death. He's conquered it. And, and what I want to do is jump into um, Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, it give, it's an amazing verse, uh, verse 14 and 15. Two amazing verses that talk about what happened on the day the revolution began. What was the revolution against and what actually took place? And so for us, I can remind you, I can say, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. But when we jump into what it means, everything changes. And that's where the reminder starts to gain momentum. And before you know it, you'll start to remember this on a regular basis. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, we have flesh and blood, um, he too shared in their humanity. This is Jesus. He shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So I just want to say that again. He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. The one one um, theologian put it this way, that, that Jesus, picture the devil with, with the power of death in his hands, that he is wanting to still kill and destroy against humanity. Jesus took the devil, broke him on, like broke his back in half, lays him there, and then in Colossians it says, makes a spectacle, a laughing spectacle of the enemy. Broke him, broke him without strength anymore. Break the power, okay, let's keep going, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And free those who all their life were held in slavery by the fear of death. We are included in that. All those, all those. You know, the shadow of the cross goes like really, really far. It goes past just a day past just a year, it goes all the way into 2018, and past that, all those people who are held in slavery. So here, here's what I want to talk about. I, I want to talk to you about what actually took place. So when we talk about the resurrection, what do we know about Jesus conquering death? What are we reminded of? Well, here's the first thing. Death is not final. If there's a resurrection that happened, if a man came back from the grave, well, then death is not the final thing, okay? By the way, then death doesn't have the final word. We kind of know that if we've heard this story before. If you've seen Hollywood movies at all about resurrection or uh, anything along those lines, we kind of know that. But death not being final, that means that the victory starts when we die. Like we, we get to live forever, if we accept Christ, which is really good news, but I want you to know the good news starts now. Not just death is not final. Let's go to the next one. Death has no more power. And let me, let me talk to you about this. There's a guy named Richard Beck who wrote a book, The Slavery of Death. In The Slavery of Death, he's a psychologist, and he actually talks about death has more power over humanity than we think it does. And he said, he, he goes as far in the book to say that subconsciously or consciously, every one of our decisions, unless, and he, he says this, unless we're operating out of the power of the resurrection, every one of our decisions is in response to a fear of death. Every single one. He calls it the scarcity mindset, is what he calls it. 
That if, if we think that death is the final thing, and even if we know intellectually, we go, no, no, I know there's more. Jesus conquered death. I know there's more. But we act and we live in a way that, that there is no more, that this is it. Our time, resources, and relationships, this is all we got. What you start to do is you start to become real greedy. It's your time. This is all I have. I got to make the most of my time. This is my time, right? This is my time. Relationships, we start to manipulate pretty easily because we go, I, I need to go to the most important person in the room. I need to make myself known. I need to date the prettiest person or the most handsome person, whatever. I, I need to do this. I need to do that. And we, we do this with our relationships or with our resources that we go, this is all I get. I can't give it away. Don't you see? We're constantly responding to the fear of death, whether we know it or not. It's a mechanism. It doesn't turn off. It's a switch that can only be turned off when the back of death has been broken. When the scripture says he broke the power of death to free you from the slavery of death, the fear of death. Now, now listen, what that says to me is most of us are enslaved to the fear of death. Otherwise, Jesus died in vain. He broke the power. So Jesus comes back from the grave in a resurrected body. And even the disciples don't recognize him right away. And the disciples start to know something's more glorious about this man named Jesus. Something's more, more real about this man named Jesus. And there's even a, a very strange passage in Scripture that if, if the resurrection happened, this can happen. But it was strange nonetheless, where Jesus passes through a wall. And, and what C.S. Lewis says about this is he says, it's not that Jesus was like a ghostly figure going through a real wall. It's that the wall was almost like a ghostly immaterial thing in comparison to how real Jesus was now after he rose from the grave. Amazing. Everything's changed now. Everything's changed. He's ushering in a new way of living, a new kingdom. Death is not final for sure. There is an afterlife, but it has no more power over the people who say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe there's more time I believe there's more time. I'll make the most of my time, but it's not my time anymore. I give it away. There's more time. I believe that there is more to be had in this world. There's, there's going to be new heavens, new earth. I believe in that. And so I don't have to hold on to things. I don't have to hold on to things with a closed fist because it's going to be really hard to let go and to hold on to the resurrected Christ when your fists are closed, full of the things that you think you've earned and you think, and you're operating out of a fear of death. That death is constantly saying to you, make the most now, have your best life now, constantly speaking this to you. And here's how we know this, is if you live in a place where I find myself on a lot of days, it's the if only land, okay? We'll call it that. Talk about Disneyland, this is the opposite. This is long lines and no rides, okay? This is if only land. You go, if only if only I had a better relationship, things would be better. Right? If only I hadn't stopped dating that person in high school, then like my relationship would be easier. That's if only land. That's the fear of death. That's you not living out of a commitment to what Christ has put in front of you and what he's doing, but it's living out of a, this is all I got, I got to change. I got to change things, I got to manipulate things. That's if only land. You say, if only I were able to have and fill in the blank, my life would be more complete. 
If only the bank account looked a little bigger, right? Like the numbers, if I had one more number before the decimal, if only I did that, things would change. I would be complete. If only, that's if only land. That's scarcity mindset. That's the mindset of someone who hasn't been adopted into the everlasting family of God. That's a mindset that's responding to the fear of death. You follow me? That's the fear of death. That's what enslaves us. And then, and then uh, we just, when we look at this whole story, what we realize is we forget, we're reminded, and I hope now you're remembering some things. You're remembering the times where God has come through and where you say, no, he hasn't come through in the way I want him to. Well, yeah, I want you to know the Father's on the way. I want you to know that the empty lunch doesn't mean he's not providing the Father's on the way. I want you to know that. I want you to step out of if only land and into the place of there is a resurrection, there's a better life, and I can start living it now free from the tyranny of death. I don't have to be a slave to that. And by the way, if you're a slave to death, you're a slave to money, you're a slave to greed, you're a slave to a whole lot of things that just die. That just die. And this is why the angel says, um, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why would you be looking to those things when Jesus has risen? And here's the last thing. The resurrection was the beginning. It was not the end. When we realize this, that the resurrection is the beginning, not the end, things change. Lisa, if I can have you and the band come up, I want to tell you the disciples that were so afraid and that were hiding and were panicked and all those sort of things. These disciples, everything changed for them when they encountered the resurrection, by the way. They did live in a scarcity mindset. I don't know how more scarce it gets than we might die. By the way, Peter, Peter denying Jesus and, and all these sort of things. We, Peter like has documented dis- dysfunction all over the scriptures, okay? So this is Peter, but, but the disciples, just by the fact that they're hiding and they're not out there with, they're not even going to the tomb. They've lost hope. They forgot. They're in if only land, like if only we hadn't given everything up in order to follow this man, all those sort of things. And they're living in the tyranny of death. And then by the, by the way, when they meet Jesus, when the resurrection kind of encapsulates them. When the resurrection changes them, they just don't fear death anymore. Ever. So all the disciples except for one actually died for the faith. Every single one of them. The other one just got old. His name is John. I don't don't know how old John got, but I think that we, knowing the story of John, we could probably um, assume he would have rather died at certain moments of his life. He wasn't afraid of death. He just died of old age. Every single one other than him died a martyr's death for the sake of the resurrection. Not only were they not holding on to life, like it's the only thing they got, like a scared child that says, my dad's not going to have a lunch for me. What am I going to do? Nothing. And, it's, and they don't live that way. Not only did they not live that way, they were confident. There's more. There's more. And their whole life was proclaiming there's more. There's a kingdom. It's real, right? There's, there's Taco Bell. It's not peanut butter and jelly. It's Taco Bell, right? So they're proclaiming this. Not that. But they're proclaiming life is more. You are not a slave to death. Death doesn't have the final word, and you're not a slave to death. We can live for the generosity of others. We can give things away. We can be 
we can be committed in our relationships, not because we're looking for the next best thing or the next best pleasure, but because this is the life we have now, and there's so much more coming. Here's how they died. Peter and Paul, both martyred in Rome about 66 AD during the persecution under Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request because he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord Jesus. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters. That's cannibalism. And in what is now the Soviet Union, Christians there claim that he was the first to bring the gospel to their land. He was crucified. Thomas was probably most active. This is doubting Thomas, by the way. Thomas was probably most active in the area east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India, where the ancient Christians revere him as their founder. They claim that he died there when pierced through with four spears from four different soldiers at the same time. Philip possibly had a powerful ministry in North Africa and then in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman And in retaliation, Philip was arrested and put to death. Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of the gospel, ministered in Persia uh, and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say that he was martyred by being stabbed to death numerous times. Bartholomew was a widespread missionary who traveled across the land to India with Thomas even. And uh, there are various accounts who said that he died a gruesome death, possibly by being burned. James was one of the last uh, three. There were some and most who say he was clubbed to death. This was recorded by Josephus, a historian, Simon the Zealot. So the story goes, ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew and to death by burning. They... um, They were not slaves to the fear of death. Like Jesus said, I have no place to lay my head. Not only was he not holding on to things, a man didn't even have a pillow. We literally worship a homeless man named Jesus who started a revolution against death, conquered the whole thing and says, it doesn't have to have power over you. What I can't read you because I just don't know is the glory that they're experiencing now. I don't know. I wish I could read that to you. But I do know we don't have to be slaves to death. So, so here's what we're going to do. They're going to play a song called Tremble. And I want you to sit in your seats. Unless you just want to stand up and worship, I want you to sit in your seats and meditate on the words. But I want you to do it like this. I want you to think about the disciples singing this song as they're dying. That death has no power singing the song as they're dying. So you can picture whatever disciple you want, numerous disciples, how powerful it is that these are the sorts of proclamations people believe even more than the, than the tyranny of death. You follow me? Can you do that? So uh, let's go ahead and have them start this song, meditate on the words, and then we'll respond together. When was the day the revolution began? It's uh, April 1st, 2018, because it's a personal decision we all have to make. Do we join this victory over death, or do we let death have the victory over us? That's the question. When is the day it began? Now, today is the day that it begins. So here's, here's what I want to ask. 
The first way we're going to respond is this. Do you want the story of Jesus' resurrection to be a new beginning for you? I'm asking you, do you want to follow the man who conquered death so that you don't have to live as a slave to death anymore? That's the question. Here's a second question. Do you feel like the fear of death has power over you and you'd like to seek prayer? You'd like to seek prayer. And here's the last. Would you like to take communion in remembrance of Christ's power? We have communion in the back. We're going to take a few minutes and respond. Here's what I want to ask you. Don't be silent. Revolutions don't start because people who join are silent. Take a next step. Take a next step. If you say, I'm not, I'm not at a place to, to conquer death, well, you don't have to. Jesus did. And you say, I can't follow Jesus. Well, talk to a person about that. So if you'll, uh, I'm going to have some people on our prayer team. Can you actually move to the sides? If you're part of the prayer team, if you can move to the sides and that you guys, if you would like to seek prayer, all you do is step to the side, any place on the side, and we'll come find you and pray with you. But please take a step on Easter Sunday to respond when Jesus is saying you don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be a slave anymore. So you say, I want to start following this man, Jesus, and living under the victory. I want to do that. Okay, then find someone, pray with them. You say, I, 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 I fear death. I make decisions based on temporary things all the time. I don't know how to live in victory. Find someone and pray with them or take communion, but let's respond. They're going to continue playing, but I want to, from this point forward, step to the side, go to the back, and let's respond. Let's respond. Go ahead and keep singing. I just want to read as a blessing over you and all of us on Easter Sunday that Jesus testified to this throughout his entire life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Because you are not living in a way that you are a slave to the fear of death. You live in a way where you submit to serve the people around you and the God who's created you. I would encourage you, as you people are seeking prayer, that you would do what we say. We all tend to drift, but then you think, why am I forgetting? That you would be reminded not to make decisions as a slave to death, and that you would know the resurrection is a now every single day thing. It's a now every day after. It's a now every day after. Your father is on his way. I promise the tomb is not empty and your hope is not lost. What you must do is trust that every single day. Before you know it, you may be asked to give your life up for it and someone will be reading your story. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you do make the darkness tremble, that all throughout the Gospels, that the demons were asking, why are you here? And they were trembling. They know your name, and I thank you, you have power over them. I thank you that, Jesus, the day you died, you broke death's back, and the day you rose again, you handed us that same grace, that we can live in a way that we we look at, at the enemy and we see the power the enemy used to have, but he is a spectacle for all to look at. 
and for none to obey. I thank you for that. Thank you for Easter Sunday, God. Thank you that we can come together and remember the resurrection even though we've forgotten. And there's hope for us. May we leave here with our hearts filled with hope, free from the slavery of sin and death. In Jesus' name we said, amen.